Chapter Twenty of The Protector by Harold Bindloss. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Protector by Harold Bindloss. Chapter Twenty The Flood. When he reached the blast lamp, which was raised on a tall tripod, Vane stood with his back to the pulsating blaze while he grasped the details of a somewhat impressive scene. A little upstream of him the river leaped out of the darkness, breaking into foaming waves, and a wall of dripping firs flung back the roar it made, the first rows of serried trunks standing out hard and sharp in the fierce white light. Nearer where he stood, a projecting spur of rock narrowed in the river, which boiled tumultuously against its foot, while about halfway across, the top of a giant boulder rose above the flood. Vane could only just see it, because a mass of driftwood, which was momentarily growing, stretched from bank to bank. A big log, drifting down sideways, had brought up upon the boulder, and, once fixed, had seized and held fast each succeeding trunk. Some had been driven partly out upon those that had preceded them, some had been drawn beneath the ladder, and, catching the bottom, had jammed. Then the rest had been wedged by the current into the gathering mass, trunks, branches, and brushwood all finding a place. When the stream is strong, a jam, as it is called, usually extends downwards, as well as rises, as the water it pens back increases in depth until it forms a solid barrier from surface to bed. If it occurs during a log drive, the river is choked with lumber. Bent figures were at work with axes at the shoreward end of the mass. Others had crawled out along the logs in search of another point where they could advantageously be attacked. But Vane, watching them with practiced eyes, decided that they were largely throwing their toil away. Next he glanced downstream, but powerful as the light was, it did not pierce far into the darkness and the rain, and the mad white rush of the rapid vanished abruptly into the surrounding gloom. Then he caught the clink of a hammer on a drill and seeing Salter not far away, strode towards him. "'How are you getting to work?' he asked. Salter pointed to the foot of the rock they stood upon. "'I reckoned if we could put a shot in yonder, we might cut out stone enough to clear the butts of the larger logs that are keying up the jam. "'You're wasting time, starting at the wrong place.' "'It's possible, but what am I to do? I'd sooner split that boulder or chop down to the king log there, but the boys can't get across.' "'I think I could,' Vane answered. "'I'll try, if it's necessary.' Salter expostulated. "'I want to point out that you're the boss director of this company. I don't know what you're making out of it, but you can hire men to do the kind of work you think of undertaking for three dollars a day. "'Well, let the boys try it, if they're willing,' Vane raised his voice. "'Are any of you open to earn twenty dollars? 
I'll pay that to the man who'll put a stick of giant powder in yonder boulder, and another twenty to whoever can find the king log and chop it through. Three or four of them crept cautiously along the driftwood bridge. It heaved and worked beneath them, the foam sluiced across it, and the stream forced the thinner tops of shattered trees above the barrier. It was obvious that the men were risking life and limb, and there was a cry from the rest when one of them went down and momentarily disappeared. He scrambled to his feet again, but those behind him stopped, bracing themselves against the stream, knee-deep in rushing froth. Most of them had followed rough and dangerous occupation in the bush, but they were not professional river-jacks, trained to high proficiency in log-driving, and one turning shouted to the watchers on the bank. "'This jam's not solid,' he explained. "'She's working open and shutting, and you can't tell where the brakes are.' He stooped and rubbed his leg, and Vane understood him to add, "'Figured I had it smashed.' Vane swung round towards Carroll, who was standing close by. We give them a lead. Salter ventured another remonstrance. Stay where you are. How are you going to manage if the boys can't tackle the thing? They haven't as much at stake as I have, was Vane's reply. I'm a director of the company, as you pointed out. Give me two sticks of giant powder, some fuse, and detonators. After cramming the blasting material into his pocket, Vane called to Carroll, "'Are you coming with me?' "'Since I can't stop you, I suppose I'd better go,' Carroll replied. They sprang down the bank. Vane crawled out on the working timber, with Carroll, who carried a heavy hammer, a few feet behind him. The perilous bridge they traversed groaned beneath their feet, but they had joined the other men before they came to any particularly troublesome opening. Then the cluster of wet figures was brought up by a gap filled with leaping foam, in the midst of which brushwood swung to and fro, and projecting branches ground on one another. Whether there was solid timber a foot or two beneath, or only the entrance to some cavity by which the stream swept through the barrier, there was nothing to show but Vane set his lips and jumped. He alighted on something that bore him, and when the others followed, floundering and splashing, the deliberation which had hitherto characterized their movements suddenly deserted them. They had reached the limit beyond which it was no longer useful. When they had crossed the gap, Vane and those behind him blundered on in hot fury. They had risen to the demand on them, and the curious psychic change had come. Now they must achieve success or face annihilation. But in this there was nothing unusual. It is the alternative offered to many a log-driver, miner, and sailor-man. Neither Vane nor Carroll, nor any of those who assisted them, had any clear recollection of what they did. Somehow they reached the boulder, Somehow they plied axe or iron-hooked peavy, while the unstable, foam-lapped platform 
rocked beneath their feet. Every movement entailed a peril no one could calculate, but they savagely toiled on. When Vane began to swing a hammer above a drill, or whom he got it from, he did not know, any more than he remembered when he had torn off and thrown away his jacket, though the sticks of giant powder, which had been in his pocket, lay close by upon the stone. Sparks sprang from the drill which Carroll held and fell among the coils of snaky fuse. But that did not trouble either and it was only when Vane was breathless that he changed places with his companion. About them bowed figures that breathed in stertorous gasps grappled desperately with grinding, smashing logs. Sometimes they were forced up in harsh distinctness by a dazzling glare. Sometimes they faded into blurred shadows as the pulsating flame upon the bank sank a little or was momentarily blown aside. But all the while gorged veins rose on bronzed foreheads and toil-hardened muscles were taxed to the uttermost. At last, when a trunk rolled beneath him, Carroll missed a stroke and realized with a shock of dismay that it was not the drill he had brought his hammer down upon. "'I couldn't help it!' he gasped. Where did I hit you? Get on, Vane said hoarsely. I can hold the drill. Carroll struck for a few more minutes, after which he flung down the hammer and inserted the giant powder into the holes sunk in the stone. Next he lighted the fuse, and warning the others, they hastily recrossed the dangerous bridge. They had reached the edge of the forest when a flash sprang up amidst the foam, and a sharp crash was followed by a deafening, drawn-out uproar. Rending, grinding, smashing, the jam broke up, hammered upon the partly shattered boulder, and carrying it away or driving it, washed in tremendous ruin down the rapid. When the wild clamor had subsided, Salter gave the men some instructions, and then as they approached the lamp noticed Vane's reddened hand. "'That looks a nasty smash. You want to get it seen to,' he remarked. "'I'll get it dressed at the settlement. We'll make an early start tomorrow,' said Vane. "'We were lucky in breaking the jam, but you'll have the same trouble over again any time a heavy flood brings down an unusual quantity of driftwood. "'It's what I'd expect,' agreed Salter. "'Then something will have to be done to prevent it. I'll go into the matter when I reach the city.' Carroll and Vane walked back to the shack, where the former bound up his comrade's injured hand, and, after a rest, left the mine early next morning. Vane got his hand dressed when they reached the little mining town at the head of the railroad, and on the following day they arrived in Vancouver. End of chapter 20 Recording by Roger Moline